when I discovered in the literature that the same dietary and lifestyle modifications that you can make that are going to protect your brain in the long term actually make your brain function better in the here and now. I mean, that was like a game changer for me. That The light bulb went off in my brain and I was like, that's the insight. Welcome to the Big Kid Problems podcast, based on the comedic social channel all about not wanting to be an adult. I'm your host, the writer, creator, and pretty normal human being behind Big Kid Problems, Sarah Merrill. Now, I've spent the last almost decade making jokes about entering the adult world, and as I've gotten older, I've realized that no matter what your age is, we all have Big Kid Problems. So each week, we will take a funny yet informative look at a specific Big Kid Problem, break it down with our roundtable panel, then have out an expert to help us solve our problem of the week. From love and relationships, career, money, physical and mental health, bad decisions, and just general life responsibilities, nothing is off limits. So thank you so much for joining me as we navigate adulthood together. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another week and another episode of the Big Kid Problems podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Merrill. And for those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I know most of us are still in quarantine this week, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm starting to get a little stir-crazy. Days have definitely been blending in together, and it's been kind of hard to focus and like really get shit done. I definitely feel like I have brain fog, and I don't know about anybody else, but that's why I'm actually really excited for this week's episode. I'm here to get your brain back in working order. Our guest this week is New York Times bestselling author, Max Lugavere. He is a health and science journalist who wrote the book, Genius Foods, and most recently just launched a brand new book called The Genius Life. And his research is all about optimizing your brain and body to make yourself the highest functioning version of yourself. I mean, who doesn't want that? (laughs) So I honestly feel very lucky to have Max on the podcast. And you guys are going to hear me geek out a little bit because Max's book, Genius Foods, actually changed me and my fiance's life and completely altered the way we eat in our household. I had to give my fiance Brandon credit for this one. So little backstory. Brandon suffered from brain fog for years and he played football back in the day. So we kind of just chalked it up to like having multiple concussions. But he started to do a lot of research on brain health and cognitive performance, which led him to the book, Genius Foods. And once he started really getting into it and eating for his brain, he saw a dramatic difference in his brain function. And if you think about it, I mean, brain function really affects every aspect of your life. And if you can increase the quality of your brain function, you can improve the quality of your entire life. So long story short, he made me read it too. And I learned a ton and was so excited to have Max on to share some of this information with you. We'll talk about food myths, how foods affect our productivity and mental health. We'll talk about what to eat, what absolutely not to eat, and lots more. So this interview is probably the most information-dense interview I've ever done. So without further ado, we're just going to jump right into it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. 
We're about to jump into an episode all about optimizing our health and what to put into our bodies. We should also talk real quick about what we put on our bodies. I have slowly been switching to cleaner products over the past few years, everything from beauty products to cleaning supplies, but I could never really commit to a natural deodorant because I could never really find one that works. But that is until I found Curie. Curie is a natural deodorant that is aluminum-free, paraben-free, sulfate-free, and cruelty-free. But most importantly, it smells amazing and it actually works. So I switched to Curie for two weeks to make sure that this was a product I could stand behind. And trust me, I put that bitch to the test. Like, I used it before workouts, before running errands all day. I even used it before hanging out with my future in-laws. And let me tell you, it works. <laughs> I'm honestly obsessed. I mean, the scents are so sophisticated, fresh, and sexy. Like, I never thought I'd be saying those things about a deodorant, but here we are. And I feel like I've leveled up as a person when I wear this deodorant. It's weird. All I know is that I've thrown out my old CVS deodorant, and now I am exclusively a Curie girl. It's honestly hard for me to explain how amazing Curie is. So the only way for you to get it is to just try it for yourself. So lucky you, I have a little discount code just for our listeners. Just head over to curiebod.com and that's Curie like C-U-R-I-E and get 20% off when you use code BIGKID at checkout. I'll also link it in our show notes so it's easy to find. But again, that is curiebod.com and get 20% off when you use code BIGKID at checkout. Hey guys, welcome back to the Big Kid Problem Podcast. I am joined this week by none other than New York Times bestselling author and health and science journalist, Max Lugavere. Welcome to the show. What's going on? <laughs> I'm so pumped to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm actually like, guys, I'm kind of geeking out right now. Like, this is the most prepared I've ever been for an interview. Like, I, love I it. took notes. I took notes. That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, but your book, Honestly, your first book, Genius Foods, and I know you have a brand new book coming out, um, The Genius Life. But the first one, I read it and it like literally changed the way that I grocery shop and the way that I consume food. And I can't say that for a lot of things because oh, wow. I've like heard a lot of stuff, but I just feel like what you're putting out there is really good information that I know my audience could use. Oh, I love that. Well, thanks so much for saying that. I mean, yeah, I wrote it without you know, any sort of ulterior motive. I think like my MO for writing the book is was very transparent from the get-go. And that was to get good information out because, you know, as you know, my mom was sick for many years and uh, I was met with just what, what I've come to call diagnose and adios in, the, in, the, in every doctor's office that I was in with my mom. And I just felt like I needed to stand up to get this kind of information out so that people of all ages, younger people, older people, whatever, could sort of have a roadmap in terms of how they might care for their brain and their body ultimately as they as they navigate the world and of course as they age, which everybody does, you know, inevitably, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it wasn't about selling supplements or anything that you know, or even launching a career for myself in this space. It really wasn't about that. It was just about putting out a body of work that. I could say I did my best to kind of uh, incorporate the current state of the science, make it actionable, make it approachable, make it achievable for people so that I can actually like move the needle on people's health. And I think that that comes through in the book. I mean, that, that 
there's really no other explanation for the fact that it's done so well. You know, I mean, it's, there's a lot of diet books available to people, but I think what's, what's, I think is definitely true about genius foods is that the intention was very pure. It was to get information out and to be a well-written book that people would enjoy reading and actually read. Yeah. And that's like understandable. Yeah. Because I think some of these books can be like a lot and you're just like, I don't, I don't get it. How do I apply this? Because I didn't come from this background of like having a stiff upper lip as like an academic, you know, this like this super unapproachable uh, high level background. I was just a guy, like a normal person. I integrated like into the book, like all kinds of like pop culture references that I really loved growing up, you know, that I wanted to, that I would want to see in like a book that I was reading to keep me engaged and stuff. So it's very, yeah, it's super unique for a health book. And um, I'm just grateful that it's, it's resonated with you and so many other people. Yeah. And I mean that like, that is, that is the whole jam. Like you're just a son trying to understand like why your mom got sick at a young age because she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's at Around what age? It was like younger than super young. Yeah. yeah, she was diagnosed with a form of dementia. It took. Oh, I'm a, sorry. It took, it, took, it took a long time to get the diagnosis for her because she had this mysterious confluence of symptoms. Um, so for people that aren't familiar with dementia, dementia is a neurocognitive disorder. It affects your brain. It affects the way that you think. It it affects the way that you, the way that your memory works. You know, and memory is something that it's it's actually kind of an abstract process you know i mean memory it could it could incorporate or it could represent long term memory it could represent short term memory it could even affect working memory which is your ability to like have hold a conversation and manipulate like thoughts you know and like and the intention that you have when you begin to speak yeah when my mom was diagnosed with this condition at the age of 58 super young it just threw my whole world into a tailspin and all of the misconceptions that I had about dementia, you know, that it was an old person's condition, that it was something that was genetic, really went up into the air because my mom was not old and I had no prior family history of dementia. So I was like, what the, you know, the question became what in my mom's environment or in my mom's lifestyle triggered her to have developed this this condition at such a young age? Is there anything that I could do to help her? What could be done to prevent it from happening to me? Because, you know, now that if you have a parent with a condition, you suddenly have a risk factor now mm. for that condition. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that began the investigation. And it's been a, and it's a, it's a question that's going to, you know, consume me probably for the rest of my life. I mean, you know, my mom passed away in the middle of writing my new book, The Genius Life. I'm so sorry to hear that. And yeah, thank you. I mean, yeah, it was it was awful. And so I miss my mom every day and it's just something that like I'm I'm always wondering. I'm always looking into the research and if I see anything, you know, cross my path that might offer some insight. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, you know, it's just another rabbit hole that I have to go down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what's so interesting is just like you said, you're like, we had no prior family history, but this is something that might have happened in her environment and like could things that we're doing in our daily lives lead us down that path. And I I just thought that was like a really interesting question because so many of us, especially especially this audience, let's be real, like we're, you know, young adults. Yeah. I feel like we, if we're gonna eat well, it's to focus on short-term goals, you know, like I want to look good or I want to have a beach vacation. We're not really eating for brain health. We're not really thinking about these long-term, you know, problems that might come up. Like, so I think that that was like a really big eye-opener for me that like the things that I'm eating right now could impact my 
future brain health. Yeah, 1000%. I mean, that was really the, the revelation that led to me writing Genius Foods because, you know, I didn't really set out to write a dementia prevention book because that would not have, I mean, unfortunately, you're right. It wouldn't have a huge market, you know, and like you have to, to have the opportunity to write a book. I mean, it is a, there is a business model attached to book writing, you know, it's, it's not a purely altruistic like <laughs> endeavor, you know? So for me to have written the book, I had to know that there was something that was going to make it a, appreciable by younger people, by my demographic, the demographic that I have the potential to reach because I'm a younger person. And so that was the revelation that the, when I discovered in the literature that the same dietary and lifestyle modifications that you can make that are going to protect your brain in the long term actually make your brain function better in the here and now. I mean, that was like a game changer for me. That The light bulb went off in my brain and I was like, that's the insight. Because it's such an amazing investment to make where you know, you're basically you know, taking these steps that, are gonna, that the research shows are going to actually help lower your risk for developing dementia but that they can improve your memory function today, that they can improve your mood, that they can reduce depression, actually make you happier and more productive. I mean, that was like incredible for me, um, especially you know, in light of the statistics showing that so many people are struggling with their mental health um, and you know, aspects of their executive function. So many people are being prescribed drugs today for you know, attention deficit, mm-hmm. uh, which is a condition directly related to executive function. But we know now from the literature that you can eat foods or adopt a dietary pattern or take even supplement and then going, you know, more broader to like various lifestyle factors, you know, exercise, sleep and things like that. They all can affect the way that your brain works in the here and now, which can have a direct uh, impact on your personal life, on your, even your romantic life, on your professional life certainly so yeah so it's just huge and you know when i was writing the book i I had no idea that i was going to get the kind of feedback that i ultimately ended up getting and now since the book has been out for over a year in retrospect it's just amazing you know the thousands of notes that i've gotten from people all around the world you know they've adopted the diet that i that i recommend and their brain fog has lifted their memories have improved their anxiety has been reduced their depression Mm -hmm. has been reduced um, so it's just been, it's been amazing. Those were like the big things that I, I figured for this audience that they would appreciate because like, you know, maybe somebody we you haven't thought of, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia, like you said, prevention, you know, that kind of feels far away, but I think we've all suffered from brain fog or days that we get to work and we're just like, why can't my brain turn on? Like, what is that? And you, you kind of talk about how like foods have a direct, you know, effect on you. Yeah. I mean, you are what you eat. People know that, but they don't (laughs) make that connection with their brains, unfortunately. And your brain is literally made up of ingredients derived from your food. And so, you know, the quality of your food dictates the quality of your brain. And it's like, you know, there's a saying that programmers use, garbage in equals garbage out. That is definitely true for the quality of of your thoughts, of your mood, and of course, your health. So, yeah, I mean, eating foods like, for example, wild salmon, uh, which provides an omega-3 fatty acid. You know, people might have heard of omega-3s, which are very healthy. They're found in fish oils and things like that. That provides literally like one of the most important structural building blocks for your brain, DHA fat. And we need these kinds of fats, these, these healthy, good fats, because what they do is they essentially keep the membranes of our brain cells fluid and supple. 
And that's kind of an important point that I drive home uh, in, in Genius Foods, especially because, you know, when you think about a cell, a cell is like a compartmentalized little, you know, I mean, it's, it's really one of the key batteries of life is the cell and you're made up of trillions of cells. But for a cell to be able to perform its many functions and interact with its, with its environment, because you're a, you know, you're a, what you are is the summation of all of these cells. You're not just, you know, one cell. They all kind of work in concert the way that like, you know, an ant, you know, an ant colony might. And, uh, and for your cells to be able to function properly, they need to be able to receive messages from the outside world. And in your brain, these messages, you know, many of them are uh, the result of these chemicals called neurotransmitters. And you might be familiar with serotonin, dopamine. Serotonin is, for example, crucially important for having a healthy mood and executive function, which includes planning, decision-making, impulse control. And then we have dopamine, which is involved in feelings of reward. It's also involved in movement. So Parkinson's disease, for example, is related to a deficit in dopamine, and it affects the way that you move. So anyway, you'll, these neurotransmitters work, they are released by a neighboring neuron, and then they have to be heard by the adjacent neuron. And for them to be able to be heard, and so that their messages actually get across, your brain cell membranes have to possess this property known as fluidity, so that a receptor can actually like bob up to the surface, kind of like a buoy. It's almost like an ear on the surface of, of the brain cell membrane. But unlike the ear on your head, it's not just, it's not always there. It bobs up, grabs a message, and then it recedes back, you know, back down into the ether <laughs> um, to, to really simplify things. But, uh, but that, that ability of, you know, these receptors to be able to like bob in and out and receive the messages and even like release them at the, the, these chemical messengers, that DHA fat is going to help your brain cells become or, or be as fluid as possible. Whereas other fats, you know, might make them more rigid. So the, the foods that I recommend in Genius Foods are all about, you know, providing building blocks to your brain that are going to keep them fluid and supple and also protect them um, over time as they age, as they incur insults from the environment, whether it's, you know, heavy metals or unhealthy oxidized oils that are commonly found in, you know, in, in whenever we eat in restaurants or eat packaged processed foods and things like that. So yeah, so it's all about, it's all about giving your brain cells like the nutrients that they need to function at their best. Yeah. And that was one of like the first things, um, you know, we, you kind of talked about in your book is you talked about how so many of us are nutrient deficient. Mm -hmm. Can you like, like is eating a salad at lunchtime enough? <laughs> you know? I mean, it's definitely a good start. Yeah. I mean, 90% of people are, are deficient in at least one essential nutrient. Um, and the reason for that is that our food supply has become basically built on ultra-processed foods made of relatively uh, nutrient-poor commodity crops. You know, 60% of the calories that we consume now come from just three plants, wheat, corn, and rice, which is mind-blowing. Because if you look around the supermarket, you've got millions of options, right? Mm -hmm. Like in your, in your average supermarket. But for all of the sort of variety that, you know, they, that they present the illusion of. It's just those three plants, wheat, corn, and rice. And wheat, corn, and rice are energy dense. They're packed with, with you know, starch, but they're very nutrient poor. And so that's why when you look at most bread products and, uh, you know, wraps and rolls and cereals and things like that, they all have, you know, these synthetic vitamins added into the ingredients. You'll find like niacin and folic acid and all kinds of stuff because, you know, by and large, our diets are 
are constituted by nutrient poor processed foods. And so, yeah, so most of us are, are, are nutrient deficient in, in one sense, but then we're also overfed. So many of us are overweight. You know, two thirds of people in the United States are now either overweight or obese. So two thirds. Yeah. 66%. Holy shit. Yeah. It's a lot. Overweight or obese. So, I mean, it's a smaller number for people who are, who are actually obese, but I mean, many... It's still people, super high. Yeah, many people are overweight. Yeah. Over fat, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, weight is actually not the best uh, indicator of health because, you know, if you're well, a well-muscled person, if you're strong, you know, if you're, if you're very fit, um, you might actually be technically overweight, but having more muscle in your body is actually, it's a great thing when you mm-hmm. look at how frail older people tend to be in this country. So the problem is really when you know, with, with over fatness. And that's something that many, many people struggle with. When you say overfeeding, so like, are there specific amounts of food you should be consuming? Is it based off of calories? Like, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of calorie counting. I think that the best thing for people to do is to cut out packaged processed foods. And these processed foods are, uh, you know, once you, once you know how to look for them there, you'll, you'll see that they're everywhere and they're hard to avoid. Mm-hmm. Pizzas, bagels, donuts, muffins, cereal products, breads, all rolls, the fun things, wrap, fun things <laughs> ice creams, um, chips, French fries. Uh, these are all foods that, yeah, the, the, the problem with them and the reason why we have this obesity epidemic is because we're always around these foods. They're always available to us. They're uh, typically not that expensive and they're what food scientists call hyperpalatable. So they're just uncommonly delicious. Hmm. Uh, they're designed to make you want to eat more of them. Desi- yeah, they're designed to make you want to eat more of them. I feel, like, I feel that with Doritos hard. Yeah. Like you 100%. can't just have like five Doritos. Yeah. And I'm, you know, <laughs> same here. Like when I'm, when I'm breaking open a, you know, a bag of, you know, even if it's like something that's like a, a, a healthier snack food, like sweet potato chips, it takes real mental muscle for me to stop eating them. And most of the time I lose that battle. Like yeah. I'm eating the whole Wait, bag. Wait, are sweet potato chips not health food? They're not, unfortunately. <laughs> they can be. I mean, look, they can be. It's a, it really, ultimately, it comes down to the person. If you're super active, you've got a really fast metabolism, you're a, you know, you're an athlete, then they're totally fine for you. Mm. But by and large, most people are not athletes. You know, they're just average people who work desk jobs and who are sedentary most of the day or, you know, sitting in their cars, you know, commuting to work for hours on hours and they're sitting at desks. So there is no sort of one size fits all recommendation. But by and large, I mean, these foods are, these foods are, are basically the problem with, you know, the food environment today. I mean, they, they these packaged processed foods typify the standard American diet, which is associated with obesity, chronic disease, and the like. And so I mentioned I'm not into counting calories. Research shows that when you just avoid those kinds of foods and you stick to whole foods, so like single ingredient foods, um, or you cook you know, yourself in your home, that you can actually effortlessly lose weight. Whereas if you base your diet around these processed foods, which most people do today, 60% of calories that, that people consume, so most of the calories that people consume come today from ultra-processed foods. They actually, they drive their own consumption. They actually influence the amount that you eat. Mm-hmm. So the amount that you eat, you know, we tend to think about, you know, like uh, portion control. You know, if we want to lose weight, we should just eat less, right? But what most people don't realize is that the type of food that you eat dictates the amount of food that you eat. So if you just shift your you know, your consumption, uh, your, your, your dietary, you know, consumption pattern to 
uh, incorporate more whole foods and less processed foods, you're actually going to see that you're you're being more satiated and you're going to be inclined to eat less. Yeah, that's the big thing. And that's I definitely want to get into specifics with you. And so for anybody who's like going to the grocery store, like what are some foods that you that, that would qualify as like whole foods or things that are going to satiate you? Like what would you say is like some of the top foods that you want to see in your basket? Yeah, so I mean, I'll recommend some specific foods, but I mean, basically just for for anybody listening who wants to make it as easy as possible, the best thing that you can do, most people don't realize that all supermarkets are designed the same. So if you shop around the perimeter of a supermarket, that's usually where you're going to find all the whole perishable fresh foods. So, mm-hmm. you know, beef, fish, uh, salmon, eggs, um, even dairy, if you can tolerate dairy, you know, those are all hanging out around the perimeter of the supermarket. It's the aisles where you're going to find usually those processed foods that you want to try to avoid. Now, I'm not saying that everything in the aisles is not good for you. I mean, you know, there's in my supermarket, we have an aisle that's just stocked with extra virgin olive oils. And I like to peruse, you know, because hmm. uh, I consider olive oil to be a, a genius food. So it's actually, that's the, that's an oil that I recommend uh, integrating into your diet. But yeah, when it comes to specifics, you know, any kind of, of fatty uh, fish, you know, so wild salmon would be a great um, example of that or sardines if you're into them. Most people get kind of grossed out from the thought of eating sardines, but yeah, um, I can't with the sardines. Yeah, I <laughs> couldn't initially. And then I forced myself to just try. You know, I was like, how bad can they actually be? Like, you know, people people enjoy them, right? So is it going to taste like dog shit? I don't know. Probably not, you know? So I just kind of forced myself to, to try it. And actually, I ended up developing like a taste for them. I really like them. Huh. But anyway, so fatty fish, wild salmon is, is a crucial brain food. Um, I'm also a big fan of grass-fed beef. So not just any beef, but you want it to be 100% grass-fed or grass-finished beef. Yeah, real quick, like what is the... Because you mentioned wild-caught too. Like what is the purpose? Like what about farm? I feel like farm-raised is everywhere. Like what's... Yeah. Why, why the emphasis on wild-caught and grass-fed? It's going to have healthier fats in it, really. I mean, the f- farmed salmon is... Um, tends to be a fattier fish and the fats that you know are increased farm-raised salmon are not that beneficial from the standpoint of the brain so you know wild salmon is predominantly you know rich in omega-3 fatty acids uh wild salmon is and farmed salmon does have omega-3 fatty acids as well but it also has a lot of omega-6 fatty acids which can you know to really simplify it can sort of counteract uh, in the cell membrane, the the benefits of these omega threes that we really want to get. I mean, mm. we need omega six fats as well, but the standard American diet is already enriched in omega six fats, so we don't need to get any more of them in our diets than we already are. The other problem with farmed salmon, um, and ultimately the dose makes the poison for this stuff. So if you're having fa- farmed salmon every now and then, it's totally not a big deal, and I certainly will eat it if I'm in a restaurant and and it's the best option available to me. But you really, you know, on a regular basis, want to eat more um, wild salmon. And it's kind of easy to do these days, thankfully, because like you can go to Costco and they sell bags of frozen wild salmon, which is fine. But I was saying the other thing, the other problem with farmed salmon is that they have environmental pollutants that they accumulate in them just because of the fish meal that they're fed, which is not the lowest, which is not the highest quality uh, food. You know, oftentimes what you'll find is that farmed salmon contain flame retardant chemicals, which is like... Yeah, I mean it's crazy. But you don't want to consume that stuff. It's just not not good. They, it can act like they can disrupt the hormones in your body, which um, you know affect everything from fat storage to brain function to you know sexual development and things like that. 
and uh, and they're fed antibiotics prophylactically because they're kept in these like pens pretty much. And so they're just, you know, the worst thing would be for one of them to get sick and then spread that infection. I knew that with like cows and pigs. I didn't know they did that with the fish too, that they're kind of like fed hormones and stuff to keep them healthy or antibiotics. Yeah, I'm not sure about hormones, but yeah, antibiotics, they're fed um, and they get this processed fish meal, which is, you know, I mean, a wild salmon is eating a wild salmon. I believe wild salmon, yeah, they eat like algae and krill and things like that. So they... Um, they eat their natural diets, whereas they're not getting that when they're farmed. They're eating the you know pellets that are made of like corn and other fish. And the problem is when they eat uh, this this hyper processed foods, they bioaccumulate things that you don't necessarily want there to be in the flesh of mm-hmm. these fish. So. And similar with like the grass fed, because I've I've had this argument argument with my dad quite a few times. Um, cause he, he's big on like low carb diets. He did Adkins for years and like, he'll go to McDonald's and get like a double cheeseburger, but take the bun off. And he's like, it's keto. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm, I'm just interested in like how important the quality of the meat is or if it's okay. Like, am I being a stickler? Well, again, you know, if it's a once in a while thing, it's not going to be a big deal to eat grain fed beef, but the, what a cow eats dictates the healthiness of its fat. So if you're talking about like lean meat, I'll give you an example. I was traveling earlier this week and I had to give a number of talks in a steakhouse sort of environment and my meal was being comped, you know, so I got to order whatever I wanted off the menu. And, uh, I knew that the steakhouse, that the beef wasn't going to be grass fed, that it was going to be grain fed beef. And so I got a lean cut of meat. I got a filet mignon, which can be an expensive cut, granted, but it was, you know, it was being paid for. Yeah, yeah. bring um, it on. Yeah, bring it on. But that's, uh, but here's the thing. If you're eating a lean piece of beef like that, it doesn't have to be a filet mignon. There are other lean cuts available in the supermarket. It doesn't so much matter from a health standpoint if the cow is grass-fed or grain-fed, because as I mentioned, what the cow eats dictates the healthiness of its fat. So if you don't have a lot of fat on that cut, then it's not a big deal. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But if you're eating like a burger or a marbled fatty cut of meat, then it becomes crucially important that that cow is grass fed. Mm. So, you know, whereas I'll eat a piece of, I'll eat a filet mignon if I'm in a fancy steakhouse because it's a lean cut of beef and I don't know where that beef has come from. If I'm making a burger for myself in my house or if I'm going out and I'm buying a burger, you know, because I'm in a rush, for example, I'll only go to a place that has grass fed um, burger meat because it's going to be a fattier, piece of meat. Yeah. And, you know, that matters. And what the cow eats, you know, matters. It's not necessarily true for other forms of protein. So for example, you know, a pig, you know, what what pigs eat doesn't really dictate the to to a, a large degree its fat constituents. But for a cow, you definitely want it to be grass fed if you're eating a fattier piece. Yeah. And um with uh like pork or any, anything like that cuz like I love my bacon. Yeah, like I love my bacon and I remember there was that study that came out fairly recently that was like uh you know pork and really all red meat has like a direct correlation with cancer and all of that. Like what what are your thoughts on like do you do you cut that out completely or is it more of like a you know No. I don't put a lot of uh, faith in those kinds of studies. First of all, there is the, the largest sort of meta-analysis that's been, that's been published as of late has been, uh, came out in the Annals of Internal Medicine, which is a very legitimate you know, medical journal, and found that actually there's very, very weak evidence that meat causes any type of cancer. You know, I mean, the evidence that we have is really kind of, it's just really not, not good. I mean, it, a lot of the, the 
associations. You know, so if you see a study come out and they do find an association between meat consumption and cancer, it's actually not all that surprising. Um, and I'll just, you know, you can have two kinds of studies in science, really, when it comes to nutrition. You can have observational data and then you can have clinical data, you know, from experiments. Mm-hmm. Observationally, when you look at the way that most people in the United States consume processed meat, I mean, we think about processed meat. What what is a, a what are the predominant forms of processed meat that are consumed in this country? Hot dogs or cold cuts sold on Subway sandwiches, for example, or burgers that people tend to eat with the supersized fries and the large Coke. So, when you look at people who are you know the health of people who are eating that kind of those kinds of foods, their health, like clearly is not going to be very good. And it's not. I mean, they, those are the kinds of people who are struggling with obesity. They develop cancers. They develop heart disease, type 2 diabetes. Yeah, it's hard to isolate like just the, what the meat is doing. Yeah, there's just so many confounding variables, which are variables that basically like, well, they're also drinking the soda with the meat. They're right. having the fries. And so even those associations, when you do find them, the impact that meat has is tiny, you know, if any. So... I would not be concerned about consuming meat. It's, there's really no clear link, um, no definitive causal connection between meat consumption and any kind of cancer. Mm. Uh, and it's really about the dietary pattern as a whole. Yeah. I, I also want to, I kind of want to get into more more foods and because there's so many like food myths that I think that we've heard, yeah. you know, throughout our, our lives. Because I, I, one thing I found really interesting is you talk about like the fat-free myth. Like... I grew up on like margarine, you know, like, Same. you know, like my, my, I think my mom was always heard that like, you know, fat free is better. Like that, that was like the common knowledge is like, yeah, fat is fat. So we want to be fat free. Like what, what is some of your research shown about that? Yeah. You can't be afraid of fat. I mean, I'm not a big fan of lots and lots of added fat, you know, from oils in the diet. Like, you know, I don't like eating uh, greasy foods, for example, you know, so I'm not like one of these people who have now swung, you know, like who's gone too far off the deep end and is just like throwing butter in my smoothies and uh, coconut oil in my coffee and things like that. Actually, I do enjoy coconut oil in my coffee. <laughs> um, just to just to be honest, yeah. But uh, but no, fat is super super important. And but the the thing about fat, the caveat is that it's got to be a healthy fat. And so the oil that I recommend for um, low to medium heat cooking and to use as a sauce and as the and as the primary ingredient in your salad dressings is extra virgin olive oil. That's the oil for which there's the most evidence. You know, we have to go on evidence. And as I mentioned with nutrition, this you know the it's one week you're told eggs are good, the next week you're told eggs are bad, and that's because most of the nutritional recommendations that we get come from these sort of observational studies where you really can't. You know, ascribe causality to any of these things, you know, like correlation does not equal causation. But the thing about extra virgin olive oil is that we have a number of, we have clinical trials that use it. We have animal studies that look at, you know, the use of extra virgin olive oil. It really seems to be this uh, almost like a miracle food in a way. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I call it a genius food. And the other thing about extra virgin olive oil that separates it from the other oils that you know, are trying to get your dollar in the supermarket is that extra virgin olive oil is something that humans have been pressing from olives and using for thousands of years. Unlike these, you know, newer industrial oils like canola oil, corn oil, and soybean oil that have only been in the human food supply for the past hundred years, extra virgin olive oil is like this very pure, almost medicinal uh, fat. And so, you know, I'm using it in my salads. 
um, which is really important because some of the nutrients in dark leafy greens are only absorbable when in the presence of fat. So you got to use fat in your salads. And yeah, so I'm, I'm a big fan of, of fat, but I'm not like, you know, I don't advise a super high fat diet. Mm-hmm. Cause here's the thing. If you have fat on your body, uh, adding more fat to your diet is only going to displace the fat that you use from your own body, you know, essentially. So you want to, um, use it deliberately. And, and I think, uh, you know, get your fats from whole foods, you know, like eat as much fat as you want. If it's contained in wild salmon, if it's contained in grass fed beef, if it's contained in nuts and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, so I'm super or avocados or eggs, you know, these are all wonderful fat sources when it comes to like added fats and oils, we really, really want to be careful. And most of the time they come from packaged, you know, added fats come from packaged processed foods, um, commercial salad dressings and things like that, which you want to uh, avoid. While we're talking about health and wellness this episode, I've got to mention one of my favorite little secret weapons, Hum Nutrition. For those of you who don't know, Hum Nutrition offers a variety of supplements, each combined with high-potency vitamins to achieve specific aims. Like for example, leading up to my wedding this year, I've been taking their Runway Ready formula, which has a mix of vitamin E, fatty acids, and biotin to make your hair, skin, and nails glow and grow strong. Also, during this quarantine, I've been using their green superfood powder in my smoothies every single day. I love their mint chip flavor. And one scoop of this stuff has raw greens, adaptogens, enzymes, and probiotics, which are all really good for our bodies, especially when I know a lot of us are off of our routines right now. I'm actually taking quite a few other of their formulas. Um, I've been a big fan of Hum Nutrition for years, like even before they helped sponsor the show. So if anyone's interested, just DM me and I will tell you all my favorites. Or you can hop on their website and take a little quiz to find out the best formulas for you based on what you're looking for. Just go to humnutrition.com and click get started to take that quiz. And I have a little 20% off code for our listeners when you use Big Kid at checkout. Again, that's 20% off when you head to humnutrition.com and use code Big Kid at checkout. Now let's get back to the show. Speaking of eggs, because I know you just mentioned that. I feel like my whole life, like I've heard like egg whites are healthier, like get an egg white omelet, you know, like that's supposed to be healthier. And I've seen that like, you post a lot of things of like, you want to eat the yolk. Why do we want to eat the yolk? Because an egg yolk is nature's multivitamin or it's one of <laughs> nature's. It's got all of the ingredients required to grow a healthy brain. If you consider the fact that when an embryo is developing, the first structure to, to you know, to assemble is a nervous system that includes the brain. And the egg yolk is like literally contains everything that nature has deemed important to grow a brain. What about cholesterol? Well, from, yeah, I mean, we've been concerned for decades. We've been told that cholesterol is this sort of dietary demon, but it's kind of funny when you consider the fact that most of the cholesterol in your body is concentrated in your brain. So it makes total sense that an egg yolk is going to have a lot of cholesterol. It has to grow a brain after all. Yeah. Some people might have a, they might be what are called overabsorb or hyperabsorbers of dietary cholesterol, but I would not be uh, too concerned. You know, I'm not concerned at all with uh, dietary cholesterol. Um, in the context of, you know, of a diet that is, uh, includes, you know, lots of fiber, vegetables and things like that. I have more egg questions. <laughs> sure, <yeah. laughs> I eat a lot of eggs. Like how many is 
Like, is there such thing as too many eggs in a day? Well, it depends on the person, but for most people, I would say no. There's really not. It's not a major concern. I mean, I was going through a period where I was eating, you know, three to four every single day. You know, I mean, but it depends on the if it depends on people's goals. Like, if you're consuming, I think three egg yolks is you know a day is totally reasonable for most people. And then if you want to add more protein to your omelet or scramble or whatever you're making, then throw some egg whites in there, you know, and and cut out the yolks. It's not like you need to eat a ton of yolks. Yeah, um, you kind of get your daily fix. Yeah, yeah. When buying eggs, because this is like a new thing I've discovered in the supermarket. Like, there's so much marketing lingo on these eggs. I'm like trying to decipher, okay, uh, these are like roaming, you know, free yeah. roam uh, or whatever it is, like special diet. Like, I'm always by a, by a Tibetan <laughs> shaman. Yeah. yeah. Like what actually matters? You want to make sure that your eggs are pasture raised or omega-3 enriched. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll say that uh, any egg that you buy is going to be healthy. You know, eggs are a very nutrient dense food, no matter what type of egg. So no matter what your budget is, Eggs are great. If you have a little more money to spend and and or spare rather on eggs, uh, the best are going to be pasture raised eggs or omega three enriched eggs, which are going to have a lot more omega three fatty acids than than a conventional egg, just because of what the chicken is allowed to eat. Do you have a favorite brand? I well, I like eggs from a company called Belcampo, which um, is based in Northern California, and so they. It's pretty easy to find Belcampo eggs where I live in Los Angeles. Yeah, I was um, going to say, I don't think they have those in Tennessee. Yeah, they probably don't <laughs> have those in Tennessee. There's another company. I think it's Vital Pastures. I've heard of that one. Yeah, Vital Pastures yep. or Vital Farms. Mm-hmm. Um, they make great pastured eggs. And they they have a pretty recognizable carton. It's like black with like mm-hmm. um, really artful carton. Yeah. Like, you know, you'll always recognize it. I think like that's at Whole Foods. They have them at Whole Foods. Yeah. Yeah, they have them at Whole Foods. Okay, that's um, good to know. You don't have to buy organic. You know, as long as you're buying pastured, I think that's the, that's, you're going to get the most bang for your buck. Oh, speaking of organic, I think that's really interesting because I've seen that on your Instagram before where you talk about like some things are important to buy organic, but not everything. Like you could actually kind of save money around like not buying organic on certain things. Yeah. What, what, what do you say you need to buy organic versus you don't need to buy organic? Yeah. So organic is not a panacea, like meaning organic is not the end. That organic label can very often be used for marketing purposes. And it's not the end all be all arbiter of what's healthy and what's not. So right off the bat, you need to know that. It doesn't matter so much if your uh, beef, for example, is organic. In fact, organic seeing just organic beef could imply that the beef that the that the cow is just fed organic corn, which you don't mm-hmm. want. So for for animals for protein, you want you know as I mentioned, the beef to be grass fed. You want the sa- salmon to be wild. Produce, I think, organic becomes a little bit more important. Um, but at the end of the day. It depends on your budget, and you should buy, you know, fruits and vegetables, no matter what, you know, no matter what you can afford. If you can't afford organic, then conventional is totally fine. But for the produce where you eat the skin or the peel, then I always recommend buying organic. Um, so whether it's it's berries or dark leafy greens or apples, you you know, I'm generally always buying organic. And again, if you can't afford organic then you can eat conventional berries as well as long as you're you know yeah. you're, you're getting 
It's better than a Pop-Tart. It's better than a Pop-Tart. <laughs> um, um, that's really interesting though. So if you're not eating the peel, like I'm thinking bananas, like I don't need to buy organic bananas. Yeah, I'll never buy organic bananas. I never buy organic avocados. I never buy organic. Oh, um, that's good to know the avocados. Because yeah. those organic avocados are freaking... They're expensive. They're expensive as hell. I mean, you could argue that organic is better in some ways for the environment because of the it leads to healthier soil. Mm. Um, uh, no matter what we're t- you know we're talking about. You know, and there is some thinking that organic meat is better for the environment, but I'm just speaking strictly in terms of health. There's not a major difference in terms of the health benefits of organic over over conventional. You are getting less pesticide residues, which is obviously going to be, I think, important just as we hedge our bets against these, you know, industrial agrochemicals, you know, that have just tons of money Hmm. going into them. And we don't yet know the long-term effects of chronic consumption of these chemicals, Uh, you know, but yeah, so when it comes to like avocados, oranges, citrus, things like that, um, you don't need to buy. Organic. You don't need to buy organic. Yeah, interesting. I also I'm, I'm interested in in like sugar alternatives because like when I um, this is funny, uh, my fiance Brandon and I got in an argument this morning because he thinks like he was saying like he he was basically eating cookie dough that was made with monk fruit, hmm. and he and I was like, don't eat that in the morning. Like, don't have like something you're you're the first thing you're putting in your body be sugar. And he's like, it's not sugar. <laughs> yeah, well, mon- I mean, monk fruit's not sugar. It's sweet. But yeah, I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily the best way to start the day. But <laughs> um, but yeah, some people like, you know, to put a little bit of stevia or monk fruit in their coffee in the morning. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Is stevia better than Splenda? I would say so. Yeah, stevia, monk fruit. Um, those are all, I think, better options than, than Splenda. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Splenda. Okay. Sucralose. If you look at your labels, um, you know, I try to avoid products with sucralose in it. I was going to ask you, like, when you're at the the grocery store, like, what are some things that you look out for on labels that I like avoid? Yes, because we all see packages that are like no trans fats, like no GMO, uh, and you're like, oh, that sounds healthy, and then you turn it around, and you're like, oh, this is in there. Well, I'm definitely avoiding grain and seed oils. Like I look to make sure that there's no canola oil, there's no rapeseed oil, there's no grapeseed oil, there's no soy oil or canola oil, or uh, I mentioned that already. Uh, what's the other one? Corn oil. Should definitely, I've you know removed those from my diet. I think that's like step one. I'm also trying as best as I can to avoid refined grain products. So I don't. I'm not a big grain consumer. So you know, I don't eat wheat. I don't eat, um, I generally won't buy products made with rice flour or anything like that. Uh, oftentimes these products could be just as unhealthy, like these gluten-free you know, products that are marketed as healthy could be just as unhealthy as, as anything really, even though they make health claims like they're somewhat you know, ex- expected to be better for you because they don't have gluten. None of these products are good for you. As I mentioned, they all drive their own you know, consumption. They're difficult to moderate. Uh, and then I make the personal choice to avoid artificial sweeteners. I don't consume aspartame. I don't consume sucralose, as I mentioned, no saccharin. I just, you know, the research on them is equivocal. Like they're, they've shown to, they've been, some of them, like sucralose has been shown to disrupt gut bacteria in animal models, but they're fed, you know, huge amounts. And we don't yet know what they do in humans over the long term. Um, so, you know, I will caveat my, the recommendation that I make to avoid them that, you know, you can find a difference of opinions on whether or not these are are fine, you know, on the internet. But uh, I make the personal choice to avoid them. If I'm going to go for something sweet, 
uh, I'll usually use, I'll usually either look for stevia or monk fruit or some of these, you know, sugar alcohols are, some of them are better than others. So generally like erythritol or xylitol are fine. You want to avoid maltitol or sorbitol, which can actually mess up your, your digestion. Uh, sorbitol? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, you want to avoid those. Yeah. They can, they can cause bloating and like diarrhea and people, you know, nobody wants that, right? Like yeah. you're eating like a chocolate bar that <laughs> says it's like sugar free and then suddenly you've got like disaster pants. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. No. It is interesting because um, it's hard to remember some of these like longer names, but I always, since reading your book, like, look out for the oils and things because mm-hmm. that's just like something that I can remember. And it, al- it always fascinates me. Like the things that I pick up that I think are healthy and I turn it around and then there's like canola oil or grapeseed oil. Yeah. I mean, the biggest offenders are going to be packaged processed foods, commercial salad dressings. Um, again, most of the things that you'll find in the aisles. But if you want healthier snack foods, I mean, they now have a variety of chips made in healthier oils like coconut oil or avocado oil. So, you know, the food industry, I think, you know, people get concerned about these, about these fats and oils and, and consumers will get turned on to like, you know, avocado oil and things like that as the health trend du jour. And then the food industry, for better or worse, caters to the demand. And so now we can find healthier snack products. You know, so I'd much rather be eating uh, potato chips made in avocado oil than potato chips made in canola oil, like yeah. without question. The problem is that these chips are still going to have the same effect on your on your hunger. You know, they're still going to be we're still going to be inclined to overconsume them. They're still, for the most part, empty calories. You know, yeah. for people that are struggling with their weight um, and things like that. So, so it's just important to be kind of aware. Right. Uh, but then, you know, at the very at the, I think the be- the at the very least, with this information now, it's like you can make, you can have an informed consent to consuming these products. Like now you know that it's not when you went through the whole bag of chips, when you only wanted to have just like a handful, it's not that you failed. It's not that, you know, you had a moral failure. It's that you actually did exactly what these chips are designed to make you do, you know, yeah. which is to like overconsume them. Yep. I have a couple more food questions I want to like lightning round through because then I want to get to some other really like interesting information that you talk about in your new book. But while we're on the topic of food, so salt is another big thing. And another another argument that I seem to have lost with Brandon. Um, <laughs> because I, I know you talk about salts, not all salts are created equal. If you can talk a little bit about that. And then like, because he, we now use like pink rock salt. And like, can you, is there... First of all, tell us like why that's better and can you have too much or is there like no such thing as too much? I mean, I, I wouldn't be concerned with, with salt generally if you're especially... Well, most people today, they're getting too much salt in their diets because they, they're eating a lot of processed foods, which, have, which is where most of the salt comes from. But when it comes to adding salt to your food, I place no limit on that for anybody really. I mean... Pink rock salt or any salt? Well, my preference is for this... Is for, a pinker salt or like a more, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I will tend to use like these pink salts because, um, not that they're that much better for you than sea salt. They're really, I mean, they're not, if, but what we're now finding is that sea salts all around the world, like commercially available sea salts are contaminated with microplastics. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah. Cause our, our oceans are yeah. becoming increasingly polluted. And so, you know, I mean, sea salt is great, but, 
Like now it's just a problem. Like, do you really want to be ingesting plastic if you don't have to? Yeah. So all, you know, I don't, I'm not, I don't like obsess over salt necessarily, but I try to use a salt. I mean, I use a salt that it comes from an underground mine in Utah (laughs) from a company called Redmond. That is the most LA thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it's like a pristine salt, but... But yeah, I mean, if you're using sea salt, look, it's not not going to be the end of the world. Sea salt is great. I just think that that's like a kind of a departure from maybe some of the info that we grew up with. Yeah. Like I always thought like sodium salt. and like too much salt was something to avoid. Well, here's the thing. Too much salt can make you feel bloated and like you're retaining water and things like that, which is not necessarily, you know, a, a comfortable uh, feeling. But when it comes to cardiovascular health, yeah, they've done huge meta-analyses that uh, they're actually, you know, severe salt restriction can actually increase your risk for developing heart disease. And it's really about um, where the where the salt is coming from. So, you know, salt consumption might uh, be an, in, you know, if you're consuming lots and lots of salt, that might be an indicator that you're eating lots and lots of processed foods because that's where, you know, most of the salt in the American diet comes from. And we know that processed foods, there's actually, there was a study and I can't cite the exact data because I, you know, I I forget, but it was like for every, you know, tier of, for every increase in, in, you know, processed food consumption, there's like literally like an increased risk of early death because it's just that bad for us. And there's like a dose effect, you know, the more processed food we consume, the worse our health is going to be. And that's where all the salt tends to be in the American, in the American diet. Um, the other thing that you can do to sort of buffer your salt consumption, if you have a salty salt tooth or whatever, Hmm. um, to just consume more potassium. Potassium works to balance out sodium, um, sodium's effect on blood pressure. Uh, and so, you know, by consuming more vegetables, fruits and vegetables, or even wild salmon, which is a great source of potassium, you can negate any effect that sodium is going to have on your, on your blood pressure. And just, you know, make sure that if you're eating, if you're eating lots of salty foods, that you're staying hydrated. Because mm. it's also, you know, the concentration of salt. Uh, matters as well. So just you know, make sure that you're drinking fluids, and then your your kidneys are going to pee out the salt. The other thing is that diets that are really high in carbohydrates cause our kidneys to hold on to more sodium as well. So you know, if you're eating the standard American diet, again, which is super high in refined carbohydrates and salt, I mean that is a recipe for disaster. But if you're eating a diet that is you know lower in net carbohydrates, has more you know, you're getting your carbs predominantly from vegetables and things like that, you're avoiding the packaged processed foods, then you're really not going to have a problem. Yeah. One one thing, one last thing on salt, because I know people are probably like, okay, move on from salt. <laughs> I went to a, like a yoga class in LA and like they had like your water station where you would fill up your water bottle. And then they also kept like pink sea salt next to it. And they, you were like encouraged to put the salt in your water. Yeah, salt is uh, electrolytes. Salt provides sodium and chloride, which are two electrolytes we need. And we lose when we do, you know, vigorous exercise or when we sweat in the sauna. So yeah, it's a super smart move. Yeah. So that could just be a good thing for anybody listening. An easy thing to implement into your diet is just like literally if you have a glass of water, put a little bit of salt in there and uh, it'll keep you better hydrated. Mm -hmm. Two other big things. because This is like stuff that comes up in diet things all the time. Gluten. Is everybody like? Should everybody avoid gluten? And what what's a gluten? Yeah, gluten is a protein. <laughs> gluten gluten is a protein found in wheat, barley, and rye that um, no human being can properly digest. Now, whether or not it's going to negatively impact your health, that's an individual thing. You know, people with celiac disease obviously have to avoid gluten. 
Um, but then there's a, a broader category of people who are non-celiac gluten sensitives, and um, they may have odd symptoms related to gluten consumption. Um, you know, gluten sensitivity can manifest extra intestinally, meaning like you, some people will get diarrhea from from consuming gluten or bloating, but some people might have like brain fog and you know an impingement on their on their cognitive function. So Braden has a like because he. He played football in college and got concussions. And he did a lot of research around the effects of gluten on your brain. And he realized that gluten was triggering like so much brain fog for him. Yeah, it's, uh, it's something that I think some people might be able to tolerate in smaller doses. You know, you have to think of gluten in terms of like, I think my, my, my view is that it should be thought of in terms of like a dose. And when you look at the way that most people are, are ingesting gluten today, it's at every single meal in huge amounts. I mean, breads are today, you know, wheat is bread, no pun intended, to contain more gluten because we love the mouthfeel of that, you know, that gooey glutinous um, texture. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you think about a wrap, you know, a wrap has to be stretched around, you know, or a burrito has to be stretched around whatever we're using to fill it. So those products are made with more gluten added into it. Um, and then we have soy sauces and gravies and things like that. So our exposure to this protein that no human can properly digest is higher than it's ever been in recent human history. Not to mention the fact that gluten's only been around for the past, you know, maybe 10,000 years of our evolution, which is just like a blip on the radar. Yeah. So can some people eat gluten and be totally fine? Yeah, probably. And if you're going to eat it, you know, I, I would say eat it in moderation, you know, eat it like from sourdough bread or sprouted wheat, which can definitely be, I think, better for you than commercially available bread. I personally avoid gluten and uh, I think it's probably, you know, smart to kind of keep your consumption of it down. Mm -hmm. Is it the worst thing in the supermarket? Absolutely not. But yeah, I mean, the the, the diet that I generally recommend is a gluten-free diet, not because gluten is, you know, going to be this, this toxin for people, um, that I think some portray it to be, but because products that contain gluten are just not all that nutrient dense, and there are way better options for you. Yeah, uh, you know, on the on the limited real estate of your plate. Awesome. And then, um, last food question, I promise, because this is uh, this is another one that's like big, you know, a big fad right now is like dairy free. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts around dairy? Is it healthy? Is it fattening? Should we stay away from it? Should we use nut milks? Or other milk alternatives. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to ignore the fact that dairy is an amazing uh, and super high quality source of protein. So Greek yogurt, um, great source of protein. You can actually find yogurts now that have, like, it's amazing. You'll find like 80 calorie yogurts that have 19 grams of protein. They're just like super concentrated. Most adults are actually lactose intolerant. Uh, if you look globally, so if you you know if you're not lactose intolerant and and you enjoy dairy, I would say you know you can continue to consume it um, for sure. I mean, I'll use butter and ghee, um, and I you know occasionally will enjoy like some yogurt or cottage cheese. It's just not something that like you need to consume, but it is a great uh, protein source. I also use whey protein, you mm. know, like whey isolate, which is dairy sourced. Um, so yeah, I'm not I'm not super. I don't have an opinion like. A strong opinion in either direction yeah. about dairy. If you tolerate it, then great. Yeah, you know? that's the thing. Like you mentioned, it. So many adults are lactose intolerant. Like I didn't for the longest time know that I was lactose intolerant, and I just love my cheese. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, cheese. They. I mean, they're going to have less lactose, like hard cheeses and things like that. Fermented dairy. There's going to be less lactose. So people, 
if you're lactose intolerant, for example, you can tolerate butter. Yeah, um, butter doesn't seem to be a problem for me. But some, you know, different different cheeses. Like if I have a bowl of mac and cheese, like I'm hurting. Yeah, you just want to <laughs> avoid. You just want to avoid like, you know, fat free dairy that have like added sugar in to compensate for the fact that the you know the delicious fat has been removed. Yeah, that's like I think a big thing with dairy is like, oh, if I get like one percent milk or two percent milk. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, the, it seems to be observationally there are studies that you know there there are many studies now showing that full fat dairy is better for you than yeah. low fat or fat free dairy. Yeah, I just think there's so many like dairy free or like um like nut options now. Like oh my god, at Whole Foods they have this new nut cheese. I'm like obsessed with. Really, it tastes just like cheese. It's so good, and it just I I, I don't know. I feel like it's like a little bit yeah better. I don't know. Um, okay, so let's move on from food because we've been talking a lot about that. And and your new book, Genius Life, um, I think you have some like, really interesting information. And just to kind of get through it quickly, um, you talk a lot about the, the circadian rhythm and how that also affects you know us and our bodies and our brains and all that good stuff. Real quick, give us like a little rundown on like how to optimize your circadian rhythm. Yeah, so your circadian rhythm, if you're not familiar with the term, it's basically just the, your internal clock. Like your body has uh, a clock that we set ideally every morning when we wake up, when we expose our eyes to the to the light of the sun or the day. Um, even if it's overcast, like the light is bright enough to basically like set off this 24 hour timer that dictates, you know, many if not all of the. Uh, many functions that our bodies perform over the course of the day. And whether it's the release of certain hormones or neurotransmitters, I mean, they're all sort of timed in accordance with what, with what time of day it is. And so to make sure that your circadian clock is functioning appropriately, you just want to make sure that sometime in the morning, soon after you wake up, ideally, you expose your eyes to just natural light, you know, natural bright light from the outside world. And that shouldn't seem... That doesn't sound like it would be that difficult. But today, according to the uh, EPA, we now spend 93% of our time indoors. So it's become an increasing challenge. Yeah, just making sure that you're getting that light in the morning. It's very important for focus, for attention, for mood, for digestion, for alertness. Um, but then it also affects how we sleep later on in the day. So getting light in the morning, it's a great way to, to, to almost ensure that we're going to get good sleep later on that that night as well. For those of us who like to wake up and check our phones first thing in the morning, do you think it's like pretty important to get that natural light in your face before you get that blue light? You know, I think I'm guilty of checking my phone when I wake up as well. But yeah, I don't think it's an either or scenario. I think you can check your phone, you know, but just do it in an area where, you know, like you're exposed to kind of the light of the day, you know? Yeah. If you have like a big window in your apartment, I mean, that's fine. Just go out into your into the living room. Just make sure that you're getting like, you know, without sunglasses on, that you're uh, getting to getting to allow that light to enter your eyes. You know, if you wake up super early and the sun is not yet out, and then you're driving to work, and then you know, I mean, that could lead to problems potentially. And I know you talk about like how important it is, like sleep quality, and there's like things that you can do in your life to get better sleep quality. Like, give us a few quick. Well, that would be, I mean, that's a big one, actually, and it's counterintuitive, but getting getting bright light in through your eyes in the daytime is important. Exercise can help us sleep better at night. The other things you can do are to make sure that your bedroom is kept cool around 65 degrees, give or take a few temperatures, you know, depending on personal preference, but our body temperature drops while we sleep, and we can kind of uh, encourage that process while we're winding down by just keeping the temperature in our bedroom 
a bit cooler. Uh, and also making sure that your bedroom is very dark. Even like dim light, like the light from an alarm clock or a blinking cable box or whatever can actually disrupt sleep and, and lead to lower uh, or worse cognitive function the next day. <laughs> so making sure that your bedroom is dark, you know. I'm laughing because I've been in an Airbnb this week and there's just like the faintest little bit of light coming in and it has completely like wreaked havoc on my sleep. Really? Because I'm I, I have to have like total darkness. Yeah. And uh, oh my God, it's I like haven't slept well at all. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, like I actually I have a cat and ca- cats can be little sleep terrorists because they're nocturnal. You know, and they wake sleep terrorist. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That's what I call that's what I call my cat. She's a sleep terrorist. And I I actually, you know, it makes me feel really bad, but I she now lives at my brother's house, um, which is down the street. But when she used to live with me, I would actually lock her out of my room because as much as I love to wake up to those like, you know, cat kisses, uh, which she would, you know, she's a very affectionate cat. It would always wake me up at like five in the morning. And I realized that my need, my necessity for sleep outweighed my, my love for her. And so it was a, yeah, it was. Damn, ice cold. That's savage. Sad, savage. savage. Okay, wait, there's one thing I know we're running out of time and I've been like literally just crushing you with questions. Um, But there is one thing that I really wanted to get to and I thought this was so fascinating is when you talk about stress and you talk about like how, what that does to our brain, number one, and then also like what it does to our waistline. Like you mentioned how stress can make us skinny fat and I was like, a light bulb went off and I'm like, oh, Let's let's talk about that. And also, wait, one other thing that I thought was really, 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 really interesting is when you talk about bad foods and depression and how people with depression can actually like improve the, you know, their mood and all of that stuff with food. So just let's let's hear a little bit about that. Yeah, high level thoughts. High on level. That. <laughs> um yeah. So wait, the first question was uh about wait, we we have depression <laughs> and food. Just basically like the effects of food and and on stress. On stress, yes. Okay. So stress and food. Yeah. I mean, when we're stressed out, we tend to make poor food choices, right? Because food is a source of comfort for so many of us. So it can lead to overeating and that's kind of obvious. But stress, what happens when we're stressed out, we have uh, a hormone in the body becomes elevated called cortisol. And when cortisol is chronically elevated, which is what happens when we're chronically stressed out, um, cortisol is the body's chief catabolic hormone, meaning it breaks down uh, and releases fuels in the body. And it can have that effect on your fat tissue. It can have that effect on stored sugar in the liver. And it can also have that effect on muscle tissue. Now, the problem is when we have a chronically high cortisol, which is exerting that catabolic effect, and then we go and consume, you know, refined carbohydrate comfort foods, which we so often reach for when we're stressed out or ice creams or, you know, other, you know, whether it's pizza or burritos or things like that, that causes a hormone called insulin to become elevated. And insulin is actually the body's chief anabolic hormone, which is sort of the inverse to cortisol. It, it, insulin builds things up. It sends sugar away to be stored. It keeps, it keeps fat locked in your fat tissue um, and things like that. And so when we're stressed out and we have that chronically high cortisol, and then we consume these junk foods, it, it kind of causes this, this hormonal environment in the body that can lead to a redistribution of weight 
from muscle to fat because we've got cortisol exerting this tearing down effect on our on our you know fat tissue and our and our and the sugar in our livers and and our muscle tissue but insulin causes fat to be stored in our fat tissue and it prevents calories from coming out of that fat tissue and so basically that's what can happen and the uh, fat in our body, the area in our body where the fat cells are the most sensitive to cortisol is our adipose tissue in our, um, in our viscera. So like visceral fat that's like around our waist, right? Mm. And that's the kind of like, that's the most dangerous source of fat. It wraps around our internal organs and it's, it's what it seems to be most correlated with metabolic syndrome and, you know, brain, you know, early brain shrinkage and things like that. That's what can lead to people who are chronically stressed out uh, to take on this appearance where they have like apple-shaped bodies. You know, they have like skinny arms, skinny legs, and they've got this huge bulging torso. So if you see that out in the wild, you know, in people, it's a pretty uh, safe assumption to make that they have, you know, that they have like a lot of stress in their lives and they're also not making the best food choices. Yeah. Well, that's like something, I mean, even with myself, like I feel like I make pretty good food choices. I mean, like I definitely mess up. but. I do have stress, like a chronic stress and anxiety. And I noticed that like, like just that fat, like that area, like in the lower belly that just you can't seem to like, no matter how much I work out or eat right, like it doesn't go away. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like if you are chronically stressed out, you know, I mean, we all endure stress in our lives today. And sometimes that stress is, can be prolonged, you know, depending on what our life circumstances are. And that's not, it's not our fault. It's not a, a, a sentence to to gain that kind of you know to gain weight at all. I mean, as long as you can kind of counterbalance the stress in your life with you know making sure that you're optimizing your sleep, or you know if you can't do that, then making sure that you're getting you know making time in your day to go to the gym, you know to expunge some of that energy and, and have a good workout. Um, you can definitely do things in your life that can act as a counterweight to the chronic stress. Uh, making healthier food choices, for example. So yeah, it's not inevitable, you know, and and like some people have have stressful lives and it's just like, you know, it's not like a a death sentence to to having that apple-shaped body, certainly not. But I think with this awareness, you know, it might help to just make better better food choices. So true. And and last thing, because I feel like we, you've given us so much information. I feel like this is really good. And I really hope that everybody listening, when you're grocery shopping this week, you you think about this combo when you're making your your choices and your basket picks, but um, I feel like you know we're our generation we're we're pretty conscious like we want to look good we want to be healthy at least I I feel that I feel like my you know our parents generation like some of us might have parents that we worry about that might not be making the most healthy choices like what would be what's like a good way to get this information to our parents uh, give them your book yeah buy them <laughs> a copy of the Genius Life. Um, that's a really great start. Uh, but then also, yeah, I think you just got to teach, but teach gently and not get too wrapped up in trying to change the behavior of somebody else. It's, um, that's something that I tried to do with my mom and, you know, I love my mom, but people live ultimately the way that they want to live. So I think it's smart to not actually become too, uh, preoccupied with wanting to change behavior in other people. It's hard to change our own freaking behavior, right? Hmm. Like, how are we going to change the behavior of somebody else? They have to want to make that change. So, you know, lead the horse to water, so to speak, you know, buy the books and, 
you know, send them the podcasts and do all the things that you need to do. But then you got, you know, I think the best thing that you can do is really to focus on yourself. That's that's solid advice. Max, thank you so much for giving us this great brain dump today. If we want to find out more information, we want to learn more, where can we find you? Definitely pick up The Genius Life. It's a book wherever books are sold. You can go to geniuslifebook.com to learn more, to get a free sample chapter. Again, geniuslifebook.com. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, oh, I have to pimp out your Instagram for a second. Because <laughs> like my feed is basically all memes and then like you. <laughs> Maybe not like I actually that. really, really like it. It's really informative. Like every post you do, like I'm learning something and it's like delivered in like a fun way. Aww. And I think it's it's really good. So everybody needs to follow Max. I'm well, linking everything in show notes. Thank you so much. And then, yeah, that's it. Lastly, I mean, I guess I have like my podcast too. It's also called The Genius Life. But um. But yeah, I mean, you'll get everything in one place in The Genius Life. Awesome. Well, I'm going to link all of that in show notes. Max, thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right, guys. That is a wrap on our episode this week. I know we covered a ton of information in this episode. So I hope it was helpful and that maybe you remember some of the stuff on your next quarantine food run. I want to give a huge, huge shout out to Max for being on the show. I've linked all his information in show notes. And I've also linked Genius Foods and his brand new book, Genius Life on Amazon under our podcast reading list. So I definitely encourage you guys to add that to your quarantine reading list. I mean, both of those books, they're incredible. Um, If you are enjoying the show, please take a moment to subscribe, tell your friends and maybe leave like a two second review if you can. I always appreciate when you guys do that. I hope you are all staying safe and sane out there. And if you need another distraction, make sure to come back here next week for another brand new episode. Until then, I'll see you next Tuesday.